Hey everyone, this is Mark Schaefer, author of Marketing Rebellion, The Most Human Company Wins, and you are listening to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Hello and welcome to this hopefully short-lived series that will be airing in addition to the weekly marketing book podcast interviews. I'm your host, Douglas Burdett, and my goal during this unusual time is to reconnect you with past guests on the Marketing Book Podcast, share some ideas and inspiration, and maybe a much-needed laugh or two. I've interviewed over 200 authors on the show, and my plan is to continue this series until I either run out of authors or quarantine, whichever comes first. A word of warning, the host and guest may very likely be drinking cocktails during these conversations. I mean, come on. They are recorded during the cocktail hour. To find the show notes for each episode with pictures of each guest and links mentioned in their conversation, visit marketingbookcocktails.com. Marketingbookcocktails.com. See what I did there? And if you'd like to join the conversation, email a voice recording to me at douglas at salesartillery.com, and I'll try to include it in a future episode. I'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, connect with me on LinkedIn where we can chat. So, Mark Schaefer, welcome to Authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails. Thank you. I've been, I've been looking forward to this literally for weeks. Honestly, I've been looking forward to this for, for, for weeks because, as you know, I haven't really been able to do stuff like this for a couple of weeks. So. Why? It's not like you had coronavirus. Actually, I did have coronavirus. <laughs> what? Still do, still do a little bit. <laughs> oh my goodness, Mark! Tell us what happened. Tell, take us on that, take us on that journey. I've only known one other person that had it. And it was my next door neighbor, his wife and his daughter. They're all fortunately better, and um, mm-hmm. I'm glad you're on the road to recovery. But what, what happened? Well, my uh, my wife was on a ski trip in March. Uh, with her son and some friends. And uh, at the end of her ski trip, she started feeling ill. And uh, when she came home, she was getting sicker, actually went to the doctor and was sort of misdiagnosed, I think, at first. And they said, the doctor said, well, it's probably just a cold or a touch of the flu. And, but still we were careful and sort of stayed kind of isolated from each other. But then she had four or five days in a row with a fever. And I said, that is just not right. So she went, got tested. We're very fortunate where we live in East Tennessee. We've got really great medical facilities. We had a drive-through testing facility. We got our results back in 24 hours and, and she tested positive. So she was sick for three weeks. And the miracle about this was that I didn't get sick till she got better. And because that was very stressful thinking, oh my gosh, what happens? I'm in this very highly contagious environment. What happens if we both get sick at the same time? And Mark, I should say that that was very considerate of you to restrain your your body like that. Yeah, well, it was honestly, literally, it it was like divine intervention. It just, it, it, it just was unbelievable. She started getting better and then I started showing symptoms. So, um, you know, I started to have the cough and the fever and the pressure in my chest. So I went, got tested and, and was positive. And, you know, I would say my, my, um, my symptoms were moderate. Um, I did have a fever 
for 15 days, um, was very, very weak. Um, you know, had difficulty walking from one room to another. It just felt like my, my legs were made out of concrete. So I was just very tired, very weak. Did you want to sleep a lot? Uh, my wife did. My wife was sleeping 15 hours a day. It, it didn't really hit me like that. I, I slept a little bit more, but um, I was definitely fatigued and I was, and I was very, very weak, but, uh, but I didn't sleep by those vast amounts like, like it hit my wife. And it, one of the things that you learn, I mean, it, it really hits everybody different. It's almost like this little Swiss army knife virus that every day it's like punching you with something else. And it could be a severe headache. It could be stomach cramps. Um, I went through a period of, of mental fogginess, which was alarming because there's no medicine uh, you know, as at the time of the, that we're recording this, there's no medicine, there's no vaccine, there's no cure. So the strategy is, as long as you have mild to moderate symptoms, you just let it roll through your body. You let the fever go, you treat the cough as best you can. But it was alarming to me because since I wasn't taking any drugs that would make you feel you know, mentally weird, it was like, what's going on here? I, I couldn't focus. Uh, I couldn't concentrate. I couldn't read anything. Couldn't write anything. Um, I had to like really force myself to like pay attention to try to understand things that were my wife was was telling me. And so at the beginning of my illness, this was like confusing to a lot of the doctors. And then um, by the middle of my illness, so many people were reporting this sort of symptom that they added it to the list of symptoms. And then research came out uh, a few weeks ago that showed that one third of coronavirus victims are reporting some sort of neurological attack. They're losing taste. They're losing smell. Uh, they're reporting this mental fogginess. Famously, Chris Cuomo, the, the CNN analyst, reported the same thing mm -hmm. saying, you know, I just can't concentrate. I, I can't focus. It's the weirdest feeling. And, uh, but that's all gone. So all my symptoms are much, much better. You know, I'm probably about 90% now took me about three weeks to get there. And again, some people recover in a couple of days, a couple of weeks, you know, for my wife and I, it both took us about three weeks. Mm. Oh, well, bless you. And I'm so sorry to to hear about that, but I'm really happy to hear that you're on the mend. Um, let's not talk about marketing just yet. What are some of the things that went through your head about, you know, where, where you are and, you know, life and, and mm -hmm. did you, you must have had time to reflect during when all do that. We, when do we get to open the cocktail? <laughs> oh, please open it. Yeah. And, and tell everyone what you're drinking. Well, I'm well. So I, I, I mentioned before we started the show that um, my cocktail is is determined by logistics because my office, where I do my recording, is actually um, separated from my home, uh, and I have to like go up a little hill, walk up a little hill to get to my office. So I had to have a cocktail that is self-contained in a can. So. I have a beer. It's a beer from uh, the Yeehaw Brewing Company in Nashville, Tennessee. 
Uh, I well, like. Of course, really, it's in Tennessee with a yeah, name like course, that. Yeah, of course, it's got to be. And I, you know, I really like all of their products. But this is a is a Dunkel beer, which is an unusual beer to get in a can. It's a nice dark beer, very flavorful, but but not too super heavy. So it's 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 a good beer. So I'm gonna. So what were you what were what was were you asking me about? Oh, mm, beer. Like Stages well, let me of just, my life. Let me just uh, take a break here because, you know, every podcaster, there's every episode, it might be the first time someone's listening to it. And I th- I would mm. like to reiterate that Mark Schaefer is the king of the Marketing Book Podcast. I am. You are the one and only member of the Marketing Book Podcast Six Timers Club. Mm. And as I mentioned a while back, you live in Tennessee, which is also where Elvis lived, the king. I'm not talking mm-hmm. about the British monarchy. All you folks, mm-hmm. you know, don't get upset at me. And uh, he lived at Graceland, a compound, and you live at a compound, the Chateau, spelled S C H the Chateau, S C H A E T E A U. And that's yeah. you know, you were obviously on your compound. You had to go up to your little uh, workplace where uh, mm-hmm. Rebecca sends you to get away from her, um, yeah. not just during yeah. quarantines, and where you write your books. And so. Uh, I, what I was asking was if I had gone through something like that, I might have been thinking about life and my future yeah. and what I've learned. Any anything yeah. like that? Oh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. You know, I was having a conversation um, with friends last night over. Uh, I guess it was a Zoom call, and um, you know, I said that for me, the whole, you know, this whole period, this whole crisis has really presented literally existential questions. Uh, and, and, you know, number one was when the crisis started to hit and the economy started to shut down. Um, I, I literally in my career, so most of my income comes from, uh, consulting, uh, public speaking, and uh, teaching in, in a graduate program at, at, at Rutgers University. I also have uh, a nice uh, passive income from, from book sales. As you mentioned, you know, I've written a total of eight books and have been featured on your show uh, very proudly six different times. So, well, and I do want to keep you hungry, you know. Yeah, well, that's right. <laughs> Well, look, I gotta, yeah, I gotta create that space between me and everybody yeah, else. Yeah, and so. today actually, I interviewed an author, Jeb Blunt, and he's now one of the few members of the Marketing Book Podcast Four Timers Club. So Woo! you know, the wolf's at the door, Mark. Wolf's at the door. So, in a period of three days, when the whole thing started shutting down, I became irrelevant. Um, all my speaking uh, uh, assignments canceled. Anything that involved groups or travel canceled or moved to the fall. Uh, so, you know, my speaking schedule was completely open. My um, consulting schedule canceled because all of my customers were in crisis mode. You know, one of my good customers, you know, it was funny, Doug, uh, like on a Thursday, he sent me an email. He said, hey, you know, we're making some adjustments to our social media presence. We want to, you know, run this by you. And I said, okay, let me know a date next week when, you know, you, we can do it. And I never heard back from him. So I think it was like Tuesday, I circled back and I said, hey, is everything okay? You know, did you want to set up this call? He said, Mark, 
uh, over the last three days, uh, our supply chain is in chaos. We've lost 50% of our customers. We've had a couple of our employees get sick with the coronavirus. We're in crisis mode. And so very understandably, uh, you know, the last thing they needed at that point was a marketing consultant. And then my classes at Rutgers canceled. And then, you know, book sales took a dive. So it took me about three or four days to kind of regain my footing and realize that what I do is, is I'm a teacher, you know, whether it's a speech, uh, a, a book, a blog post, a podcast interview, I'm a teacher. And we're at a time in history where I can still be a teacher, but I need to teach something else. So this is like the existential part career-wise that I went through. And I, I, so I had to pivot my content and I started writing about uh, dealing with uncertainty, um, dealing uh, with some of the mental and emotional issues that people are struggling with right now. I have a background in, in applied behavioral sciences. So, you know, I, I, I have a, you know, master's degree that can help people with some of these counseling and, and coaching skills. I started talking about, about business strategies. How do you, how do you sell to people in a crisis like this? Do you sell to people in a crisis like this? How do we reframe this? How do we reimagine our businesses? And so, you know, a, a new sort of business is starting to percolate for me. And, uh, you know, it's going to take some time. In some ways, I feel like I'm starting over again. Uh, but, uh, you know, slowly but surely, you know, things are starting to happen. And then from a really physical and psychological standpoint, I went through sort of an existential uh, crisis when about day six of, um, you know, what, what, what the doctors tell you is that you usually have mild symptoms for three or four days. And then, you know, if you're going to get more serious symptoms, it'll probably happen around day four, five, six. And sure enough, around day six, um, this pressure in my chest started to increase by a significant amount. And on the CDC website, um, they list three conditions that's that where they say you need to be hospitalized. And one is a spike in temperature. The second one is breathing problems. And the third one is increased pressure in your chest. And of course, the situation, uh, you know, in America today, at least, is that uh, if you go to the hospital, you go alone. Uh, you, you, you know, your wife doesn't go with you, your spouse, you know, you get no visitors, you're isolated. And um, if you start to have declining health and heaven forbid you, you, you go on a ventilator, what a lot of people don't realize is if you go on a ventilator, you're put in a controlled coma. It's the only way you can you can you can live and be on this ventilator. So in a very real way, you know, I was and if it's going to happen, it's not going to happen over days and days. It's going to happen within hours. And so this condition was 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 deteriorating. And I started to realize I'm, you know, I'm going the other way. You know, I'm going the other way. I'm, I'm you know, I'm I'm not getting better. Mm. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, by the end, of, you know, by tomorrow I could be in a hospital. And so it's sort of like, okay, 
get out the will. Is everything ready? Talk to the financial you know, advisor. Is everything set? Is my wife going to be taken care of? Um, you know, what do I need to get in order? Because, you know, in a few hours, I may never see this house again. I may never see my, my wife again. Hmm. And so, uh, I, you know, I've never really been through anything like that before. Um, but it, it just happened so fast that it was, it was just, uh, absolutely, uh, sort of like a mental hurricane coming on you, hmm. uh, you know, realizing that, um, you know, this is not going the right way. And, uh, but after about, uh, you know, maybe, maybe 48 hours, the pressure started to release and, uh, you know, it, 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 it didn't go away. Uh, in fact, I still have a little, uh, of this, of this chest pressure. It's never gone away. So as soon as I make it through my quarantine period, I've already got a, uh, a medical appointment scheduled to get a chest x-ray, to get blood work done, to see, you know, has this thing left a permanent mark on me some way? Um, but all, Mark, at, all, at that point, all you had had was the drive-through testing. You never went back to get an x-ray, to get any kind of blood work? You can't. Yeah. The doctors okay. won't see you. Right. Uh, if you have the virus, um, you can't see, you, you know, I mean, you can't go to see a doctor. The only... The only way um, you can see a live doctor is if you go to an emergency room and, and, you know, tell them ahead of time, I'm coming in, I've got the virus, be prepared. And of course, um, as long as I have them had the moderate symptoms, you know, you don't need to go to an emergency room. You don't need to go to a doctor. Uh, during that period where the pressure was increasing in my chest, obviously, you know, uh, you know, I, I was thinking that I may end up, you know, in an emergency room and, and hospitalized, but thank goodness it never got to that. It's interesting. My son is an EMT and he was telling me that call emergency calls have plummeted because nobody wants to go to the hospital. Right. And even some of the yeah. calls <laughs> they have had to go on, the people have said, is there any way you can treat me here without taking yeah. me to the hospital? It's just yeah. amazing. Yeah, I had a, I had a friend who uh, who uh, got a serious cut on his hand that required stitches, and uh, he said, uh, "I'm just going to take care of it at home. I got to figure out a way to, you know, sort of patch this thing up because I'm not going to a hospital." <laughs> oh my goodness! Oh, yeah. I hope he's okay. Yeah, he is. He's all right. Yeah. So, Mark, you touched on something there that I really want to talk to you about. And before we do that, I want to tell everyone that at this episode's show notes at marketingbookcocktails.com, I'm going to have a link to Mark's blog. And it's one of the best marketing blogs there is, bar none, full stop. Mm -hmm. And the content there is so rich with really topical information uh, about what we're all going through. And one of the things you just talked about was how you had to do kind of sort of call an audible there. You had to do a little bit of shift uh, to what was going to be more helpful for your audience. And mm -hmm. you mentioned that as going to the bottom of the pyramid 
And yes. can you explain a little bit more about that concept of going to the bottom of the pyramid? Because I just know that would be really a helpful framework for everyone listening right now. Yeah, this was a blog post I wrote a, a, a couple of weeks ago. It was actually the last blog post I wrote before I got sick. So I was actually uh, sick when it when it ran and and a lot of people were saying oh my gosh i can't believe you're sick and you wrote this blog post <laughs> but it, but mark I, you, I, you don't have to share that i i, I think it's important <laughs> that we you know perpetuate these superhuman strengths that yeah. you have so the idea is that you know back when we took psych 101 in college uh, undoubtedly one of the things we learned about was maslow's hierarchy of needs and it's a it's a pyramid that shows that before you know, someone can uh, really be interested in an aspirational goal, like buying a house or buying a car or buying a boat. You've got to make sure you've got to be in a position where you ha- where you have your foundational needs of food and water and air and shelter. And then above that, um, do you have a, you know a job? Do you have a, a healthy relationships? You know, are you are you not alone? And then so the pyramid is like more and more aspirational needs as you go up this pyramid. And so the con- what, what dawned on me is that this is a very helpful framework to think about marketing and sales right now through this crisis. Because what's happened almost with the flip of a switch is that our customers in, in almost any sort of demographic any sort of category have all gone to the bottom of the pyramid. Uh, you know, I would say I'm, you know, kind of a maybe an upper middle class. I don't know how you would characterize me, but uh, with you a know, love maybe, of BMWs. Yeah, I've got a BMW, so that's probably upper middle class. And the chateau, so yeah, yeah. and it's it, well, it's modest, but it's in the, it's nice. So, um, but you know, we were going to like the Kroger store. And there was no food. There was the, the, you know, the meat aisle was wiped out and the vegetables, they were just wiped out. And so that's an example where I was at the bottom of the pyramid. I couldn't get enough food. Then we started having the job losses, right? People couldn't pay their mortgages. They couldn't pay their rent. People are worried about shelter. So really across the board, Almost every category demographic moved to the bottom of the pyramid. So an easy way to think about sales and marketing is if you provide a service that is relevant to the bottom of the pyramid. You know, it's about safety, security, health, food, uh, you know, financial security. Then you need to double down. You're really important in this period. If you're at the top of the pyramid and selling something aspirational, like me, consulting services, or uh, you know, if you're selling boats or luxury goods, then what you have to do is, is find a way to be relevant uh, at the bottom of the pyramid. So here's one of my favorite examples that I think – uh, makes a, can make a lot of sense to people. So a few weeks ago, maybe two weeks ago now, I got an email from a local rancher, you know, a guy that has cattle. 
And the email said, um, look, normally I would be supplying the high-end restaurants in our community, but they're all closed and you can't go there. So I will bring my steaks to you. Now, here is someone who was, who was selling aspirational products. He served high-end restaurants. That went away. It's no longer relevant. But he's going to the bottom of the pyramid saying, people need to eat. They're worried about getting their food. I can do that. So this is sort of a B2B company that went to the bottom of the pyramid and to serve people in another way. Now, some people can do that. Some people can't. But in any event, what we're seeing is the very best companies, even if they can't like make a physical product or deliver, deliver a physical product that meets the needs at the bottom of the pyramid, they're providing empathy. They're providing assurance uh, in their marketing messaging. Because in the long run, what people are going to remember is going to impact your brand during this period. So if you're tone deaf and you're still trying to sell stuff that people don't want, they're going to be annoyed and they're going to remember that. But if you authentically and, and, and with a lot of compassion uh, try to help people at the bottom of the pyramid, they'll remember that. And that's a very important for brand building right now. Without naming any names, have you seen any companies that are getting it horribly wrong, flat-footed, and can you share what, what it is they're doing? Well, it's funny. You know, um, I think that there's two important trends going on right now. Um, and, this, and, and really, um, this is very relevant to um, the, the book that you, that I wrote, that you interviewed me about called marketing rebellion. And the subtitle to that book is the most human company wins. And several people have told me, they said, Mark, you know, your book was prescient. Look what's happening now. Okay. So many brands, many companies like restaurant chains, they're getting down in the trenches. They're feeding hospital workers. They've converted their production lines to making masks and ventilators. They're doing extraordinary things to help people where they are right now. And so in some ways, I think one of the great positive benefits out of this is that it's, it's driving this real, true, authentic connection that I, you know, evangelize, try to evangelize in my book. And, and this crisis is sort of forcing that to happen. So that could be a positive. Now, here's an example of, of without naming names, of, of really how it's going wrong. So I'm working on a blog post now. And, um, I'm going to include this video that I saw where it's, it's very, very clever. And it says all advertising during this crisis is the same. Oh yes. I've seen that. Have you seen that? Unbelievable. 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 And you kind of have a sense 
that every time every commercial you see is the same. And then, but this thing just nailed it. Yeah, I'll include a link to that. Yeah, because it, it says everybody it says yeah. starts with sad piano music, and then it goes brand after brand after brand after brand after brand, starting with sad music, and then. And then we're all in it together. And it's just brand after brand after brand after brand. It's almost like every single company is using the same playbook from their advertising agency. Now, here's the difference between the first type of companies I talked about who are getting down in the trenches and the second type of companies who just say they're in the trenches. Here's the difference. And I'm going to refer back to the 100th episode of the Marketing Book Podcast in your interview with Dr. Philip Kotler, who is and that whole you know talk that he gave on your podcast has been transcribed and featured in this book. And his quote, every time I say this, it, it just makes me choke up because I start the book by saying the reason I got into marketing was because of Dr. Philip Kotler. And here he is on your podcast, whatever, you know. 35 or 40 years later, and he's still teaching us. He's still inspiring us. And he said, what's lacking in marketing today is a true human voice. Real, authentic, even vulnerable. I've used that quote a thousand times. I use it in my speeches. I use it in my, in my, in my classes. And that's the difference. That's the difference. When you see companies down in the trenches really caring for people, they get it. They've learned their lesson. They've been transformed. When you see companies doing – they're all doing the same ad to check a box, they still haven't learned their lesson. You know, the marketing rebellion is going to occur. Some of some companies are getting it and some 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 companies aren't. I agree, and I think a lot more are being forced to get it, and – one of the theories that I've become interested in is how people don't really change, but when something like this happens, it accelerates the things around us. It accelerates other sure. changes. Absolutely. And it's like I could imagine, as I've mentioned in some of these other uh, authors in Quarantine Getting Cocktails sessions, that somebody 25, 30 years from now would say, oh, Zoom, yeah. The global pandemic of 2020 put them on the map. Well, mm -hmm. not not really. No, they were doing mm -hmm. just fine, mm -hmm. uh, but it became even more widespread. And mm -hmm. I think with Marketing Rebellion, it's the same thing, where, no, that book was out for a year and a half before this mm -hmm. thing happened, mm -hmm. but now, suddenly, everybody gets it. And it must yeah, be- Yeah, we a, get it. Yeah. yeah. It must yeah. be a similar thing to when That's you're teaching those classes, where, you know, when you give a workshop or you teach, suddenly you see the light bulbs go on? <laughs> There's a whole generation of marketers and, and more importantly, businesses that are starting to understand this. And I'm very, uh, very encouraged by all of that. Mark, one question that I've been getting, and I just know a lot of folks are wondering about, and you've, again, you've addressed it on your, your blog. And that's why everyone needs to, if you haven't been reading your blog, I think the listeners would really get so much out of it. But how do you sell in a coronavirus environment? Well, again, it, it, it's really putting yourself, I mean, just forcing yourself to think about the human experience right now. 
And every person we know, every person we know is experiencing significant loss. It could be loss of income. It could be loss of a job. It could be loss of relationships. It could be loss of routines. It could be loss of a workplace. You know, it could be loss of freedom because we're trying to work from home with kids crawling all over us. Um, you know, every single person is, they're, they're worried. They're afraid, you know, maybe even panicked. And every person is grieving. And it's funny, I, this was one of the first articles I wrote in this series about dealing with the virus. And, and, and what, I, what I proposed was that every, all of our customers are experiencing some form of grief right now. And we need to, first of all, acknowledge that grief at ourselves and start to work through it. But also acknowledge that, you know, this, this, this grief and this uh, process of grief is occurring with our customers. And the, 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 the mindset that I suggested was, how would you sell to someone at a funeral? And it's funny because uh, like two weeks after I wrote this article, there was a similar article in the Harvard Business Review that said that funny, you know, that funny feeling that you can't identify is grief. And, you know, if you were at a funeral, you wouldn't say, hey, look at this new thing I'm watching. Here's 25% if you act today. Hey, I've created this new course on how to start a podcast. Uh, here's what I can do for you today. What you would say is, at a funeral is, I'm here for you. What can I do for you right now? What can I do to help you fight through this and get to the other side and help you right now? I'm here for you. My company's here for you. Uh, you know, what can we be doing for you? And that's, if, if you look at the best marketing that's coming out today, the, the, the things that really hit the right emotional cord, that's exactly what they're doing. It's exactly what they're saying there. You know, I, I saw a statistic, Douglas, that, um, there was a study done in mid March and they interviewed, they, uh, they, they surveyed all these, uh, marketing agencies and they said in mid March, 55% of these marketing agencies had already completely halted what they were doing. And, you know, their, their strategy was off. Their budget was gone. By two weeks later, by the end of the March, uh, by the end of the March, that number fifty five percent had moved to eighty six percent, and I th I think that's appropriate. You know, I think that's probably right. There are probably fourteen percent of the companies out there are serving the bottom of the pyramid. The rest of us aren't, and so we've got to figure out how do we communicate in a new way. All that marketing, all those plans. Hey, look, you know. I had 15 blog posts lined up like planes at O'Hare ready to take off. They're still there because if I wrote, if I, if I ran those blog posts today, it would, they would just be tone deaf. Mm -hmm. I would look, you know, it, it's just irrelevant. What I had to do was force myself and force myself quickly to just think about what is in the world today and what's going on in the world today. And what are my skills and core competencies and this is the way every business needs to think. 
you know, how do we apply our skills and core competencies to be relevant in this moment? And it's going to last for a while. You know, we're, we're going we're gonna to go through different phases, but we're, we're still in, you know, I think we're still solidly in this crisis phase. Uh, and maybe it's even going to get, you know, worse before it gets better. Um, so that's, that was the, the, the post and the advice I gave around selling in this environment. Two days ago, I was chatting with, I think it was a listener. Anyway, they were asking about the, the topic of building your brand, your personal brand mm. came up. And mm. your book, Known, and there's another book that I I, I, they're the two best ones that I've found. Mm. The other one is by Dory Clark called Stand oh, Out. Oh, sure. Stand Out, yeah. Stand Very Out good. and Known, mm -hmm. I, I think, are the two best ones that I've I've been able to read and had the honor of interviewing the authors. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if, kind of similar to asking about, you know, how, how does one go about selling, what, if anything, could somebody be doing to try to uh, be building their personal brand right now and mm -hmm. please tell us it's okay to do that i think is i think in in many cases it's it's essential to do that right now uh it's a great time to do it so you know in my mind as as a as a you know as a marketing and business consultant you know i think the three things people need to be looking at right now is is first of all Reimagining your business to be relevant in the current environment. You know, how do we pivot to get to the bottom of the pyramid? That's number one. Number two, what foundational things do we need to do to our business to, to fight to the other side? We've got to conserve cash. We've got to, you know, try to do what we can to hold on to our customers, hold on to our employees. Um, do the right things in our community. So, you know, that's number two. We got we to gotta survive. We got to fight. Number three, you know, and, and I think this is particularly relevant for people who are entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, who are selling personal services, is, is this the right time to start working on your personal brand? Now, here's why this is important now. Increasingly, the personal brand is the company brand. And that's why smaller businesses are ideally built, really, to win in this marketing rebellion environment uh, because people know who the founders are. For 11 years in a row, trust in businesses, brands, and advertising has declined. But people trust entrepreneurs, business founders, technical experts. They trust their friends, their family, their neighbors. So people trust the personal brand, especially with local businesses. And for most local businesses, the personal brand is the brand. But increasingly, even with bigger businesses, the personal brand is the brand. Think about Tesla, right? Mm -hmm. the, or the, Virgin uh, Airways or... Yeah, Virgin, yeah. Richard Branson. So uh, Tesla spends around $6 per car on marketing costs. Uh, be, uh, Compared Merce to Mercedes-Benz. Mercedes. Yeah. 
spends, you know, what, you know, like a thousand dollars or more per car. Uh, and, and a lot of that I think is because people just believe in the man. He's not a perfect man, but he's real, he's authentic and he's vulnerable. And so that is the trend. Okay. Now here's the other thing. We can't sugarcoat this. There's going to be a shakeout. Some people aren't going to make it. Some businesses aren't going to make it. There's going to be a lot of people out there looking for jobs. And if you're known, if you have a personal brand, you've got an advantage. You can show what you've been doing. You can show how you think through the content that you're creating. You're going to, you know, you're going to, if you're known, you're going to be building this network of people that can help you. I can say without, uh, uh, any hesitation that my entire business has been built on the fact that I'm known. And when I started this journey, I wasn't, I didn't have any special super talent or superpower. When I started blogging, I didn't know how to blog. I was terrible at blogging, but I took people along on my journey. I wrote about what worked, what didn't work, what was my successes, what were my failures. And four years after I started, when I knew nothing, Four years later, I wrote the best-selling book on blogging. I became known because I I became an expert and took people along on the journey with me. And uh, that has led to all of my opportunities. It's led to all of my customers. I've never spent a dime on advertising. People have come to me because I'm known. They know me. They they look at my content. uh, They build an emotional attachment to me, which is what good marketing is all about. And they trust me and they hire me. Let me add to that, Mark. My sense is that most, if not all of the books you've written, are things that didn't necessarily have an answer and they were torturing you. (laughs) (laughs) And seriously, and you were trying to figure them out. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that's why it brings to mind what Ryan Holiday talked about in his uh, book, Perennial Mm. Seller. Mm. And he he was looking at things that just keep selling, you know, plays, bands, music, books, all these kinds of things. And Mm. he was talking a little bit about authors, too, and he talked about how a number of people are interested in the idea of of being an author, but they aren't really authors. And he was explaining that you know you're an author when you cannot, when when the torture of not having gotten that book out is greater than the actual process of writing it. Right. I remember that quote. Yeah. So that's, anyway, when I read that in his book, I thought, oh, wow, he clearly knows Mark Schaefer. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I I do know him. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, it's true. And, and, you know, for the the thing that tortured me about known and uh, truly, you know, made me sort of obsessive about the topic was, um, you know, I've got a place on my site where people can sign up for an hour of my time and I can help them with their business problems and their marketing problems. And, you know, I'm really good at it. And it's, it's, it's a lot of fun for me because it's just a great intellectual challenge. I get calls from all over the world with all kinds of different problems. And I kept finding myself giving the same answer to a lot of questions about like, well, you know, I want to, I want to be a successful author. I want to write a book. I want to be, a, I want to start a speaking career. I want to be invited to speak at these conferences. Uh, you know, I want to be invited to to speak at a university. I want to be invited to be on a board. And my answer every time was, well, you know, you really have to be known 
to sell books, you have to be known. To be invited to speak, you have to be known. And then the follow-up question, obviously, was, okay, well, how do I be known? And I didn't know. I didn't, you, <laughs> you don't know, have a book know, to is, recommend, yeah. Is there, is there a special sauce? And mm-hmm. so I talked to a couple of my friends, and uh, you'll never forget this quote uh, from Jay Bear. I talked to Jay. I said, you know, Jay, can you teach someone how to become known? Or is there like some special intangible thing? Is there some special sauce? He said, you know, Mark, I have no idea. People ask me that all the time. I just don't know. They've, people have been willing to pay me to teach them how to become known, and I just don't know. And that was it. That was it. I said, okay, I got to figure this out. So I started with academic research to say what's already out there, what does the science say, and, and there's not a whole lot. Most of the literature out there is very like rah rah. You know, it's like if you can, if you can, if you can dream it, you can be it. If you believe it, you could see it. You know, it, it, the world just doesn't work that or, way. Or let's not forget the hustle. Yeah, it's a terrible advice. <laughs> terrible advice. So I wanted to. I wanted a a scientific, research based, repeatable process. That really worked. So I went down the rabbit hole, as I do, and just got obsessed. And in addition to you know the academic research, I spent about a year interviewing 97 different people around the world in different careers. And I found that every single person who's become known, which is different than famous, but they have the reputation, the authority, and the presence to get their job done. They're the go-to person for whatever that topic is. Every single person did the same four things. And so that became the book. And it works. It absolutely works. It's not easy. It takes time. It takes commitment. Um, But it's helped. The book and that process has helped thousands of people. And uh, as I look back at my career, Doug, I would point to that book as the single best thing I've done to help the business world. Uh, because I just get so many comments from people saying this book changed my life. It changed my business. I can't believe what's happening. I just followed the book exactly and it works. And uh, so, I mean, it's a long way to say you're building your personal brand, especially now we're going to have this shakeout. It's going to get super, super competitive, you know, in six to nine months uh, when these when this starts starts coming back because the economy is going to be different than it was, build and, your personal. And I brand. think slower to recover. That's just my yeah. I agree. Prediction. I, I think we're in for a couple bad years, and so you know if you've got the time, if this is the right time for you to work on it, you've got to be working on this now. You just you do just protect yourself. You know, protect yourself, protect your business, protect your family. Start working on this now. You know, if it's the right time for you, because it'll it'll pay it. it you know, it's going to pay dividends six, nine, twelve months from now. Yes, and I think that years from now, we're going to be hearing stories about companies that were in the depths of despair during this pandemic, or people who were in a unwelcomed career interruption or calamity, and they are going to make a pivot. And they're going to learn something and realize something that maybe they had understood for a while. And they're going to look back at this as something that 
got them moving in the right direction. And I think that this is an excellent time for folks to read Marketing Rebellion and Known. Just start mm-hmm. with those two. Mm-hmm. And I think you know, the folks will look back that at that as a, as a milestone. Mark, is there one thing that you want to leave with the listeners? Well, you know, here's an insight that I think might really help and comfort a lot of people. Uh, if you look at what a lot of the experts are saying, there's a lot of dire projections out there. If you look at the trends, uh, you could easily say that we're already in a recession. Maybe we're heading toward a depression based on the things that we can measure. But here's what we can't measure. Ingenuity. And the thing that is so inspiring to me is to see already what's happening. When we don't know what to do, when we don't have a good answer, entrepreneurs and innovators innovators step up. They solve the problems because you know what? You can make money. And so I'm already just amazed at what is happening in this world, what is happening in our economy. And so there's a lot of dire projections, but you can't forecast ingenuity. You don't know what you know our businesses are going to come up with. And the businesses are going to lead us out of this thing. It's not going to be a government. It's not going to be a handout. You know, it's not going to be a governor or a mayor. It's going to be businesses. They're going to look at the problems. They're going to solve the problems. If nobody else is solving them, the businesses are going to solve them. And I think we're going to see innovations, new ideas, new services that we never thought of before. They're going to lift us out of this thing faster than we could have imagined. Amen. And you know what that brings to mind? I'm a military history fan. You look back at like World War One, mm. all the innovation, <laughs> despite mm-hmm. the, the the tragedy. Yeah, there was so much innovation that had to be, uh, or even World War Two or mm-hmm. something like that, where there was suddenly a lot had to happen quickly, and it was somewhat life or death. Yeah, uh, that's a very good analogy. And you know the wristwatch, the uh, the uh, ballpoint pen, uh, you know penicillin, all those kinds of things that uh, suddenly were thrust into the spotlight and uh, became indispensable. So that is that's very true, and that puts a smile on my face, and it gives me, I guess, some of the hope <laughs> that I needed, and I'm sure we all do. Oh, great. So, Mark, I really appreciate the opportunity to, to join us, uh, all the listeners to the Marketing Book Podcast. It's great to hear uh, about your progress, you and uh, your wife, and uh, mm. I hope that you both stay healthy and safe and relatively sane. <laughs> relatively. <laughs> well, thank you, Doug. You know, it's always uh, a joy to talk to you. You're always so well-prepared, and, uh, you know, you're a great interview interviewer. I appreciate your support, friendship, and, you know, the incredible value you bring to your listeners. I hear about your hear about your podcast everywhere I go. So oh, you're, de- you're, you're definitely becoming known. So keep up the good work, my friend. My pleasure. Thanks, Mark. Yeehaw!